Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 155 and a half. My name is John Morgan. Cole Coffee is, uh, I don't know, he's probably hanging out with this girl right now. He didn't get to make the trip over to London, England, unfortunately. But I, I brought the British folks back to help us out for this post-fight show. Shamat Karsandu, Simon Head, UFC Fight Night 127 is in the books. We're fortunate enough to be chilling here at the, uh, the, the after party at the Canary Wharf Hilton. Uh, there was much revelry going on. Much alcohol being consumed in uh, positive and negative ways. And uh, we just finished up with a pretty damn fun fight card. Turned out all right, didn't it? Yeah. We were a bit worried at the start. It was a bit of a sluggish start. And uh, I joked to you early on that I had to do the report for the BBC. And obviously being the BBC, first letter of uh, BBC stands for British. Oh, so, um, that BBC. Yes, Got you've heard of them. And uh, <laughs> we had to focus on the British fighters. And it was getting to the point where we thought... This could be a very blank sheet of paper going back to uh, going back to the office, but no, it all kicked off, and all of a sudden, pow, 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 back-to-back -back finishes. Paul Craig, then uh, Danny Henry, and then Danny Roberts, and that just set the tone from that point on. And we've had a great night. It's been it's been a fun event. Fantastic event, it really did. The bar was not, the expectations were not high, we'll say, and I, I guess that always helps to a degree. I, mean, I think it's fun to just have realistic expectations. We said going in, I like watching cards where I get to see kind of who the next person is, kind of what's going on. So I enjoy these. And I think, you know, if, I, I'm not saying you go in with an expectation that it's going to suck or whatever, but just go, hey, I'm going to watch some fights. And I don't know, I thought this ended up being a fun night. How about you, Sandu? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know Dana White always says, you know, don't judge a card until it's happened. Uh, but of course, you know, to get to the, the widest audience possible, you want to have compelling storylines. Right. Um, uh, just so to, to appeal to a lot more people and um, we didn't necessarily have that coming in uh, to this card, um, but in terms of the actual action that we saw on the night, some great moments, some, some great finishes, uh, some record-breaking moments. Nuts. Um, and I think we've come out, at least from a br British contingent, um, you know, Leon Edwards, uh, we all talked about him you know, during the week about someone that's kind of just started to turn up the volume on did. his personality. Um, and I, th I thought everything he did in the build-up plus the, the, the action in the cage and post-fight was completely spot-on for him to now really start you know, propelling things forward. And, and I love seeing that. And like you said, John, you know, th there's young, young fighters that are coming up and you, you're trying to find out and see when you're going to start to notice a particular moment where everything changes. And that might have been Leon Edwards' moment tonight. I agree. All right, we'll go through this card. Let's start out with the main event. Alexander Volkov picked up a fourth-round knockout win over Fabrice over Doom. Uh, guys, this was a, a surprise result, definitely an upset. I think all of us, you know, all week long said, listen, uh, we think Volkov is a live dog. He's a little bit more of a threat than I think most people were giving him credit for. But I think we all, at the end of the day, said, but this is Fabrizio Verdum. Uh, the fight itself, I, th I thought we saw the contrast in styles we knew we were going to see, right? I mean, Fabrizio Verdum wants this thing on the ground at all costs. Yes, he'll strike to get there, but he doesn't want to stand and bang with you. Alexander Volkov, of course, doesn't want to be on the ground. He wants to use that reach, use that power. And it did make for a bit tedious fight at, at some times. You know, the, the crowd was starting to get a little restless. Of course, at that point, the bar's been set so high from all the entertainment they had earlier. They were starting to boo and get a little restless. But I didn't hate the fight, to be honest with you. I just thought it was kind of, you know, that was the way their styles matched up and the way it was going to play out. And in the end, Alexander Volkov gets the fourth-round knockout. Um, I guess for both of you guys, you know, give me your thoughts on the fight, but also give me your thoughts on what it means because um, – 
the, Volkov says he wants a title shot. I don't know if that's coming next. Um, but Verdum now is in an interesting, interesting spot because I don't feel like he looked fantastic tonight. And I don't know if that's a case of simply he's been very active and, and maybe this wasn't the right idea. You know, he kind of did the USC a favor, jumped in here. Or was this the night Fabrizio Verdun got old? It was, a, it was an interesting fight. It wasn't a particularly crowd-pleasing fight. Um, about the first, first minute, two minutes, it looked like the Fabrizio Verdun that we were expecting to see. Mm -hmm. He turned up with his, trade, his now trademark flying head kick. Yep. Um, it's almost becoming a running joke now. It is. Volkov basically stepped out and laughed at him. And he's like, I knew that was right coming. back at him. How great was that? It, it was, was like, okay, almost, now let's actually start the fight. It was fight. almost like you knew, you knew I was going to do that, <laughs> but I had to do it. But then shortly after, he took him to the mat, and we were all like, okay. I said to uh, Nick Pete, who was sat next to me, Vadum's fighting like a guy with an 11.30 dinner reservation. But Volkov tied him up. Did a very good job, and that was that was basically the whole the whole fight. Volkov tied up all of Vadum's good work, right. stifled him, frustrated him, and normally Vadum he's very confident with his striking these days under Rafael Cordero. Didn't really see too much of that, and I think it was part of a game plan from Volkov: drag him into the later rounds, wait for him to slow, and then start to load up on the shots because he had the striking range. And whenever he did throw his hands, he had a reasonable amount of success. He did. And it was quite frustrating early on to see Volkov not throwing as, as much as he really should have been doing. But he knew he had a five-round fight, and it, I think he was working to a game plan. Right. Um, by the time he got to the fourth, it was, it was early in the fourth, he came out and decided, right, now's the time. Right. Um, Vadum was busted up badly. Had a really, oh, the right eye the was right horrible. The right eye was, was, was really bad. Um, almost completely closed. And uh, he saw his chance, and for the first time in the fight, he didn't just throw his hands, he loaded up with his punches, he caught Vadum, down he went, and it was a clean KO. That shot on Vadum that was on the mat yep. knocked him out, went straight across his chin, finished him, and um, from, a, from a game plan point of view, I think he nailed it. I think calling for a title shot, I think, was the right thing to do. Sure, Vadum, keep yourself in discussion. Look at the guys Vadum has beaten. Right. And look at where Vadum was ranked. If Vadum had won this fight, he'd be looking, you know, I think a lot of people would have said he probably is next in line. Right. Volkov knocked him out. Knocked him out um, and was able to stifle Vadum's best weapon. So the problem with Volkov, his English isn't great. He's trying really hard yes, with he it. Is. He's a very likable personality to talk to. He seems very earnest and all the rest of it, but he's not a big personality. Right. So the whole Drago thing. I think the UFC really have to sell. I don't know if anybody got this on the broadcast or whether you guys got it in the back, Sandu. They played the montage music from the Rocky theme. Did they? And they did. They spliced scenes from Rocky IV with scenes of Volkov doing his training as if it was that training montage. Totally missed that. It was brilliant. And I nice don't, in-house element. It, it, it was really nicely done. And um, it, would, I w it wouldn't surprise me if the UFC, maybe rights-wise they can't, but... If they can, it would be great for them to put that out ahead of Volkov's next fight because they need to start building him now. What did what? you take away from this, Sandu? Just to kind of... Uh, <laughs> that that, that um, Drago element. Sylvester Stallone right now is directing Creed 2. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't he um, uh, a minority shareholder in the business right now oh. with some other celebrities? So um, perhaps... Maybe we make that work. Maybe Stallone could be like, hey, here's some uh, footage from Rocky Four. Go nuts, UFC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, you know, I, 
I don't know why I personally didn't think about this too much coming into this fight, and I don't even think we discussed it too much um, on th on the uh, on the show the other day. But Fabrizio Verdum today looked like a 40-year-old heavyweight. It turned. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. finally happened. It, and, and I think we've spoken about this in the past. Sometimes uh, you put in a performance where you look old and, and you look a little bit past your sell-by date. And uh, tonight may may have been that night. Uh, he, you know, he has been active for the you know for the UFC mm -hmm. uh, over the course of the last year. Um, but I guess you know, time is like quicksand sometimes as a as a professional athlete. And um, you know, I, I think uh, the sand seems to be coming running a bit quicker for Vudum uh, than it has in the past. Uh, and you know, adversely for Volkov, which is crazy to think about this. Eleven years his junior, but has more professional fights under his belt. Crazy. Uh, and it, and it may just be a case of because he's got more fights under his belt. You know, he's finally kind of start to figure out. You know, what game plan suits him best for his frame, for his skill set. Um, and he was patient, and you know, took his time. Paced himself. Exactly. And. And it's interesting because when you look at the heavyweight division, you know, um, you, you've got some fighters ahead of Volkov, you know, as it stands right now. But you've got Overeem and Curtis Blazer tied up. Right. I think everyone's in, you know, uh, agreement that we all want to see Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou next. Of course. Right. So the only other fighter that is currently ahead of Volkov is Mark Hunt, and. Do you kind of if 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 Mark Hunt is on his way out of the UFC as he's been very vocal about, do you perhaps leverage another legend of the sport and another marquee name, match him up with Volkov before he exits the UFC to keep him busy? I like I'm, that idea. I'm to be not honest with either. And also, it's it would be for Hunt a bit of a throwback to when he fought Struve. Sure. Another tall, rangy guy. Um, but you take a look at Volkov's record in the UFC. Timothy Johnson, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve, Fabricio Verdum. His performances have improved with every fight. Split decision, unanimous decision, TKO, and now tonight, knockout. Yep. He's getting better with every fight. I like it. You know, I'll say this about Verdum, and, and again, I think this was an indication that we need to be cautious next time out, you know, when you're breaking down that next matchup, like, hey, was that a one-night thing? Again, was it just a thing there? He, he had been too busy. Maybe he was fatigued a little bit. Well, you know, was it, you know, the training camp? These things happen, right? You have flat nights. But it did look like, you know, maybe he, he's turning the, that corner down the down the wrong road. But we'll see. He still – there were shades of, of Verdum there, you know, some creative striking. The little step-under move where he basically went to, like, an inverted guard on the leg and got under the limb and actually moved to the back once and nearly did it a second time. Because um, the first time it happened, I thought he just made some shit up on the fly. And then the second time, he nearly did it again. I was like, no, he actually knows what he's doing right yeah. there. Uh, it, incredible. So, I mean, it's still there. I mean, he's still an elite-level heavyweight. Um, but, yeah, I think the next time he goes out there, you're going to want to know, okay. And, and the other thing with Volkov, uh, and not, not so much about the in cage, but the out of cage, again, is uh, I thought the post-fight press conference was interesting because – as you guys said, I mean, he's, he's, he's trying hard to, to speak English, and that's good. I mean, that, that makes you more, you know, have a broader appeal to, to a large audience. I think it's important, but it is hard because, you know, he gave a couple uh, answers to me that I thought were really good answers, but he gave them in Russian and allowed his translator uh, to translate it. And, and I think that's – you have to be willing to go back and forth a little bit. And so I, I kind of commend them for doing that. You know, Anderson Silva used to be a guy that I, I would actually do interviews with him and I'd say, can you tell the translator just please have him speak Portuguese? Because I know that he has – you know, a, a greater depth of vocabulary, a, a broader sense of thought. But, you know, Anderson's Anderson. He's going to do what he does. And so he would answer in English anyway. And I'm like, 
ah, I mean, thank you. You are Anderson Silva, and I appreciate your time giving me an interview. But ah, I wanted to get more, you know. So I thought Volkov was some thoughtful answers, and I thought it was, you know, cool that he was willing to say, listen, I'm trying to prove to you that I can speak English, but I want to give you a little bit more depth here, so I'm going to go Russian. And on video as well, especially, it isn't just what you say. It's how you're delivering it. And if you're trying to translate it in your head, you're searching for words, you're concentrating a lot. You don't. You aren't as expressive physically as well. Whereas if he's speaking in his native tongue, he can be more expressive. He can actually speak his mind completely. Right. And even if you're putting subtitles on the screen, or someone, or someone is uh, translating afterwards, what you're seeing on the screen is a much more animated person. Yep. The personality of their attitude comes across a lot better as well. He wants a title shot. He did say if that doesn't happen, or well, he didn't say that. Actually, he's sticking with it, and his manager had him do it too. So we're not, we're not allowing for anything else. Somebody asked him, well, if you don't get the title shot, who would you fight? And the manager says title shot only. I thought that was fantastic. Um, but you heard where he wanted to do it. He wants to fight in September in Russia. That date has not been made official. Of course, those reports are out there. Everything we heard this week is that it's so close to being done. It's, it's a near certainty at this point. Uh, he seemed to speak of it. He's like, I want to fight in September in Russia. I mean, if that happens, if that happens, you know. If that, you know. So uh, I think that would be a great spot to put him. I, I don't think it will be a title shot, but I think it would be a great spot to put him. 100%. And, you know, the one thing I will say is his suit game on the official media day Ooh, was, as the point. kids say, lit. <laughs> right? Kids. I was really say, Sam, that's what old people say, actually. I think, I think we've moved beyond kids saying it. I believe so. Um, <laughs> but, but I will say, having said that, very disappointed in his post-fight press conference attire. Just a, a t-shirt and like a track top. And I was like, dude, you just kind of, you know, had an amazing suit for the media day. Maybe kind of, you know, carry that theme on because, you know, like you guys have already talked about, you know, look, he doesn't really have the, the biggest, you know, outlandish personality that's going to grab attention and grab headlines and whatnot. Um, but yeah, look, you know, if the UFC are going to go uh, to Russia in September, then I guess you just kind of hold him for, for the time being. Right. You save him. Yep. September's only what? Six months away. Six months away, right? Uh, perhaps in the meantime, we can see what develops. You know, obviously Curtis Blades and Alistair Overeem are going to be fighting in the interim um, and see what happens with, with Mark Hunt, for yeah. example. I do. I, right? I think you might have hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, I don't know what Hunt's schedule or timeline is, but, you know, he's not a guy that fights all the time. I like that matchup a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, again, it's a, first of all, stylistically, it'd just be fun. You know, you see the tall guy against the short guy, and they're both strikers, so it'd be fun. So uh, I dig that matchup. We'll, we'll see what happens. You took about the personality of Volkov very uh, uh, very briefly he is he is prepared to put himself out there and have a go BBC3 today uh, oh, so, sorry earlier earlier this week it was Rocky and Drago on the card That's Leon right. Edwards was Rocky what our video producer at BBC3 managed to do was sit Alexander Volkov and Leon Edwards across each other from a table and play rock'em soccer that robots. was a nice funny little piece right? that BBC3 put so together he, and, and Volkov had they made their video player embeddable we would have put on MMA Junkie so if you're listening people at BBC3 BBC Three, make I'll it so that we can embed your stuff. I have asked the question. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the co-main event. Jan Blachowicz picked up a unanimous decision win over Jimmy Manoa. Uh, this was a toe-to-toe a -to -toe fight. I called it a thriller in my headline. I had a couple people on Twitter uh, clap back right away. It was not a thriller. To me, I felt tension in there, man. You know, again, I don't think a, 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 a pair of 205-pound sluggers are going to go out there and run around like flyweights. But to me, man, I felt like every single shot that was thrown had bad intentions. It was tense. It was 
back and forth. Manoa gets busted up. He's bloodied, you know. He's he's he's, but he's still coming forward the whole time. You feel like he could end the fight at any moment. Meanwhile, uh, Blahovich is, is retreating, but but lacing that jab out there real well. And I mean, how funny is it that this is a rematch that we all sat around and go, Jesus Christ, why why is this fight even being put together? You know what I mean? Like we'll take it, and these are nice guys and all that. But why are we even doing it? And now I'm sure you guys got to be like me. It's like. Well, they got to do it again, right? They got to have a trilogy at some point. You got to do it. You got to do it. And uh, it's funny, Walt Harris on Twitter sort of made a little bit of fun out of uh, Jan Blahovic at the start of the fight, called him a value brand, Stipe Miocic. <laughs> um, and, uh, but he went out there, and Jan Blahovic is a very, very tough man. Yes, he is. An incredibly tough man. And uh, he talked to us in, in, uh, in midweek. You wouldn't be able to have seen that interview because. <laughs> Um, Abby unfortunately had a little mishap with the camera, which uh, John didn't at all throw him under the bus. Not at all, that one bit. But, but um, he, he told us during that um, unseen interview that he'd gone back to his old coach and that seemed to transform his game again and send him back to the Jan Blahovic, who did mm -hmm. so well in KSW, became their champion and ended up joining the UFC. And when he dropped Manuel with that beautiful one-two, yeah. when Manuel gets dropped in fights, the fight finishes very quickly yes. afterwards. For Manoa to get through that, that 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 was a real sort of uh, test for him. Gotcha. He got through it, and at that point, it was like, okay, this is this is going to be a fight. And I, I thought he was done when he hit the deck, man. It was basically yeah. right in front of us on press row, and I'm like, that's that's he did that. A great the, job. the hooks and uppercuts that the Blahovich was throwing was crazy. He's, it, and I told you at the weigh-ins, I had forgotten that Manoa was bigger than Blahovich, and that yeah. kind of shot me because you know Jan has those long arms and the broad shoulders. Like you stand next to him, it's just like a big dude and then they got together face I was like oh yeah man it was bigger I forgot about that but uh Sandu I mean did you have as much fun this because again I know it wasn't necessarily you know mighty mouse running around there or whatever but I, I thought this was a fun fight it was a fun fight uh again I guess from a, a British perspective and you know uh, as someone that's kind of followed Jimmy Manuel's career being a Londoner as well uh unfortunate to see him you know take you know back-to-back -back losses now right uh, and I don't know you know obviously he's lost com he's lost Total momentum at the top end of that light heavyweight division. Uh, but look, going to the actual contest itself, uh, rightly deserving the the fight of the night honors uh, for for both men. You know, you want to call it a war or a slugfest or a slobber knocker. It was all of the above. Yep. Uh, you you can't have watched that whether you were in the arena or on Fight Pass uh, and not kind of think to yourself, well, I got my, you know, my, my my money's worth, so to speak, with that particular fight. Um, but you know what's crazy is just the other day we were talking about how Jan Blahovic, again, when he first signed with the UFC, he did the thing where he thought he had to go to a new gym, a new camp, get a right. new coach, right, to take him to that next level. And it didn't work out for him. And he went back to basics, went back to his old camp, his old gym, his old coach, and all of a sudden he's now riding a three-fight win streak in the light heavyweight division, that's probably going to propel him. You would have to think, if not top five, just a little bit outside of the top five, right? Yeah. I, I mean, because you've got, Jimmy those, coming you got those top guys at 205 right. that are like head and shoulders with everybody else, and then it's kind of yeah. murky after that. I mean, Jimmy was four coming into this fight, right? Crazy. So he's going he's gonna to drop down a little bit, you'd have to think. Um, but you know what? Look, you know, up until now, I think the face of the of Polish MMA, specifically in the UFC, has all you know has been Joanna Janjacic. Sure. She's a champion. But at the same time, the UFC signed Joanna. You know, when they signed Jan, 
right? He was supposed to be this guy that was like a destroyer in KSW. And there were a lot of people that thought that he could be, you know, that guy right. for Poland, you know, in, on, in the men's roster. And, uh, and like, you know, look, we've talked about this before. 205 pounds is a division. Look at Volkan Ozdemir. You know, within a year, three knockouts, got a title shot. You know, if, if now, you know, Blahovic can maybe get... One or one or two more signature wins, and all of a sudden he's right there in the mix. And you know, I'd personally love to see you know him take on Ilya Latifi or someone like that. Maybe a maybe a Glover Teixeira okay, or someone. Okay, so he asked for Shogun, and he's right. been asking for Shogun for a while. It's not the first time he's done it. Does that strike you as a little odd? I mean, no disrespect to Shogun. Shogun is a legend of the sport. Had one of the greatest years of all time. Uh, but I don't know, man. I feel like you should be asking for something a little further up the ladder. I, I agree with you there. And the reason why I said um, he should be fighting either Ilya Latifi next, um, who's got a lot of momentum himself, yep. or perhaps a Glover Teixeira, who's you know currently ranked number three, it's because I actually want to see Jimmy Manoa versus Shogun Hua. All right. Because Manoa and Shogun Hua, I think, you know, were destined to fight each other you know, a, a while back. Yeah, yeah. And it's a fight that Jimmy's been calling for for a long time himself. Again, both Jimmy and Jan probably calling out Shogun Hua because he is a legend of the sport. Sure. They probably respect him so much, and he, and it's funny because you know even at you know in 2018, Shogun Hua is riding a, a, a win streak of him, of his it's own crazy, right? in the light heavyweight division. So so yeah, but I agree with your take there. I think Jan needs to be looking you know who's ahead of him in the pecking order and start to strategically now put a fight together which can take him to that next level and hopefully a title shot down the road. You know there is something to be said too about what you mentioned. Uh, the, the way training arrangements are done. You know, I do think that there is something to be said sometimes for being the center of the attention of the coaches. Now, of course, you lose that aspect of, you know, having the multiple training bodies and multiple training partners and all that. And there's something to be said for that, too, especially, I think, very early in your career when you need to be sparring more, you know, you need to be getting used to uh, how to fight. But, I mean, th there comes a point where you've got enough experience that, right, you know how to fight. You know, there, there's not – not that you can't always be evolving your techniques, but you can do that through drilling and instruction. You know what I mean? And, and, and again, I, I do think, you know, sometimes there's something to be said for – and, again, not, not taking away from the mega cans. I mean, you can't argue with the success of, of American Top Team or Jackson Wayne. I'm not trying to take away for that. But for so certain people, I think there's something to be said for the individualized attention. I, I will say a funny moment that happened after the, uh, the road show on Thursday night. Friday we went to the weigh-ins. And uh, you know we've been put. You guys mentioned, of course, the the uh, the Abby Subban interview uh, that, that I did with uh, Jan Blahovic, and, and uh, he accidentally turned the the, uh, the recording off instead of on, uh, so we lost that. But it was funny. We 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 went ahead and poked fun at him on the podcast, and we poked fun at him on a little video series we did this week uh, on the ground. We were kind of playing around, trying something new. But the funny thing is, Friday we get to the weigh-ins inside the arena, and a fan comes up. He's like, "Hey, John Morgan, how you doing? What's up, buddy?" I'm like, "Nah, I'm good. How are you, man?" He's like. Hey, where's that videographer that fucked up your interview? I'm like, <laughs> he's right there. <laughs> the guy went up and was like, ah, Abby, we wanted to see that, man. So it was, uh, it was pretty good stuff, man. That was a funny moment. All right, let's talk about uh, the third fight on the card. Tom Dukenwah picking up the unanimous decision win over Terrian Ware. Uh, a lot to say here, okay, because uh, Terry Ware, I, I think we said it all week long, is a lot better than I think. Well, if you just take a cursory look at his, you know, his record, he was 0-2 in the UFC. Pay attention to who he's fought and pay attention to how he's fought them, all right? He is a tough guy. He's now 0-3 in the UFC, um, but I hope they give him another shot, man. He's fought tough guys uh, and, and, and stuck in there. So I thought another good performance by Terry and where uh, some people thought a performance good enough to win him the fight. I was, I was actually doing recaps tonight, so I wasn't doing our play-by-play. -play. We had a little different setup even though I was cage side. So I wasn't necessarily actively scoring every round. I was kind of just recapping what was going on. So normally I'm much more tuned into what I had my personal score at. 
Um, so I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought about this because uh, Tarion was incredibly shocked. As we walked by press row, he was just, wow, wow, wow. Like he, he felt like he had been robbed. I don't know if, if, if a robbery I, – I thought the 30-27 card was bizarre. I didn't, I didn't think yeah, there was, was any way Tom won all three rounds. Um, so, I, I guess first, just, just give me your take on, on, on what – you know, if you thought Tom did enough to win the fight. And then also, you know, what do you guys feel about Tom Duguan and, and where he goes moving forward? And is he that, that uber prospect that everybody had him to be? Because there's some things about him I love, man. Oh, my – I mean, dude, Chris striking, his movement – his striking, it's its incredible. But it did look like he, I thought he was starting to fade a little bit in the end. You know, I thought i thought his, his, his cardio is, is a little bit of an issue. Again, he's going to beat a lot of people. He's impressive. Uh, but but, but who do, do you guys think the right guy won? And, and where do you rate Tom Duke and moving forward? Um, you know, I'm not really sure about um, the decision. I mean, I think it could have gone either way. It was a very close fight. Um, I'm, I'm not going to kind of complain too much that Tom won. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I don't think I would have been complaining too much if Tarion had won either. To right. be honest with you, it, it really was that close of a fight, in my opinion, from from what I was seeing in the action itself. I think for Tom, it was just good to get back in the win column. You know, it was so much momentum and hype coming into his debut for the UFC and entering the UFC finally, and a lot of people were really, really pumped about him. And um, you know, taking that first you know loss in the UFC, you know, he's 24 years old. Right. Just, just keep, let's keep Don't that in mind. Don't forget about that. That's He's 24 point. years old, and you know, far from being a finished product. Exactly, and I think if you're the UFC matchmakers, you just bring him along slowly. You, you, you don't need to fast track him whatsoever. Um, he's he's raw talent, and uh, I, I think you know more experience and and, and the strategic and careful matchmaking along the way. You know, he is a product of of course of the Jackson Wink, uh, you know, team. Although he did spend this particular camp uh, completely in Paris, and look, you you know, sooner or later. MMA in France will get legalized. Sure. And he has aesthetically the look, the, the in-cage skill set to be kind of like that that poster child for that particular market Absolutely. at some point down the road, right? So you want to keep him in the UFC and just kind of like you know, bring him along gently and nicely, in my opinion. Yeah, completely agree with that. In terms of the fight and the scoring, scoring fights is always tricky, especially when you're cage side and you're doing other bits and pieces. I kept a close eye on the fight. I thought... I actually scored it for Terry and Ware. Right. Um, I thought the first round was clearly, clearly Tom Dukenwa's round. Um, he, he was very crisp. He came out very fast. Lots of flashy combinations, particularly the way he was finishing those combinations with a chopping low leg kick. Oh, uh, and he did that throughout nasty. most of the fight. It was really good. But what you found was, in the sec all the way through, if you were looking at a graph of their performance and their output over the course of the fight, Dukenwa was 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 at the top of the graph at the start and tailed off as the yeah. fight went on. Ware was pretty much a flat line all the way through. Fought very consistently. And um, I thought as as we got into the second round, I thought Terry and Ware drew level in the second round. It was a close round, yep. but I thought Ware did just enough. And in the third round, and I, I mentioned it on, on Twitter before the third round started, uh, Cody Stamen overtook Tom Dukenwar going down the stretch in uh, Dukenwar's last fight. And I think Ware just about did that again tonight. Certainly wasn't one of those fights where you turn around going robbery. Uh, I know uh, one of Terry's coaches was absolutely dumbfounded when he walked past, right. walked past on, um, uh, you know, after the fight. And Terry was sort of shaking his head in disbelief as well. It wasn't one where it was an absolute robbery. The 30-27 was a bit weird. Yeah, I thought that was but, that. but I certainly think, as you said, I mean, he's had three tough fights. He's had uh, Sean O'Malley, 
uh, was his first fight. Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen and now Tom Ducanois. Three hot prospects in the UFC bantamweight division, and he's taken each of them the distance. Yep. Right. So that says something. You got to give him another Terry shot. Meyer. So hopefully they'll give him another shot, and maybe one with someone with a similar experience level, but perhaps hasn't had, uh, or perhaps hasn't got such a high ceiling. Give him a chance to, you know, really, really show his stuff. Basically, what you're telling me, uh, Simon, is that was the second fight in a row on the card that you jinxed because that one you said Tarion's got this 29-28. You told me that on on Skype, and then he lost. And then on the on the previous fight with Jimmy Mano, you know, you said anytime I've been cage side, Jimmy has won. Yeah. <laughs> and I did in both of. Them. I then followed it up with, <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, I, were, you were the bad luck charm tonight, Simon. I'm a Jonah. All right, the main card kicked off with Leon Edwards picking up a win over Peter Sabota. You know, it's funny. I, I think I think I went 0-4 in my picks tonight. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, I'm not going to say I put a lot of research into him. It was my birthday week, so I was kind of <laughs> I was pretty quick on the picks. But I did think Peter Sabota was going to cause uh, Leon Edwards some problems on the ground, and he did. He did. I thought Peter Sabota, you know, has looked resurgent in his second run in the UFC, and I thought he turned in a, a, another great performance. But Leon Edwards. Uh, it looks sharp, you know, thinks he's the, the, the best welterweight uh, in, in the division and, and, and in the UK. I thought he did a great job, you know, throughout this fight, battling out of some tough positions, pushing to the final bell, you know, one of two third round 459 finishes on the night, which is insane. Uh, but, Sandu, I know you were high on his performance. And then, as you said, uh, man, he, he's putting it all together. You know, we talked to him beforehand. He said, you know, I, I get it. This is not just about, you know, wins and losses. you got to be entertained. you got to – and he gets out – Points at Darren Till, who's sitting cage side, says, you want somebody for Liverpool, I'm your man. Uh, and then basically Mike drops. You know, he, he's like, I'm out. He, now, he messed up because he went to the right gate. Uh, on the right. You always got to go to the left. It's, it's that way. So he went to the wrong gate, so he had to like – it was like almost the perfect mic drop moment, except they had to walk him back the other direction. Uh, but overall, I mean, I took advantage of his opportunity. What was crazy about this is this was a situation where – we have a saying in London, John, and I think you're familiar with this saying, is you wait for a bus for ages, and then all of a sudden, two come along at right. once. Earlier in the night, and I'm sure we're going to get there, Paul Craig broke the record for the latest finish in a three-round fight. We're, we're talking milliseconds right. to spare. So you think that is an amazing moment for Paul Craig, something to shout about, and then all of a sudden, on the exact same card, the exact same thing Crazy. happens again. How insane is yeah. that? A little less dramatic than Craig's, and we'll sure. talk about that momentarily, right. but uh, but still impressive nonetheless. I, I think I tweeted at the moment, I was like, did we get another 459er? Because he was like literally coming in as it, as it ended. Yeah, crazy moment. Um, but you know what? We were talking about it earlier on in the week as well. And, you know, Sabah is a tough, tough dude, right? And I thought it was good matchmaking at the time because even though Leon was kind of shouting about getting someone you know, ranked further ahead of him, I thought, again, where he is, his age and his maturity, fighting someone like Peter, um, who's been a stalwart for the European circuit uh, and who was also coming off a fantastic win over Ben Saunders last year in Stockholm, was actually pretty good matchmaking. Now, the smart thing Leon did um, tonight was this. There is one fighter who has stolen all the headlines all week long here in London, and his name is Darren Till. Now, I don't fancy Leon's chances of no. getting that fight no. in Liverpool with Darren Till. 
but God bless him what he's done yeah. is he's now done two things number one tonight he leveraged the popularity and the headlines that Darren Till has been generating this week and kind of got a bit of a rub from that but what he's also done is he's made his intentions absolutely clear. He wants to fight the best of the best, and those are fighters in the top 10. It is such an exciting time in the UFC welterweight division, and it's great to have a British contingent like Darren Till and Leon Edwards both in there. And as his, old, as his younger brother, Fabian, walks down the stairs behind us, um, I, think, I think you're dead on. I think um, what it also does is it gives the UFC a backup plan if no one in the top five wants to fight Darren Till in Liverpool. Because putting Darren Till on in Liverpool from a marketing perspective Fair point. is an absolutely, you know, it's a winner. Gotta it's do it's that. a home run. But it also causes the UFC a major matchmaking headache because from what we make out so far, people aren't queuing up to fight Darren Till anyway. Especially in Liverpool. Right now, they've put him in his backyard. That, that now makes it even more of a test, even more of a challenge. So now the UFC have got a job on to find somebody uh, prepared to do it. I could think of one guy who is ballsy enough, prepared to piss people off enough, who might do it, and that's Mr. Colby Covington. He, <laughs> he might be up for it, um, and the atmosphere in Liverpool would be off the chain if that happened. But I think Leon did the right thing there. He also gave the UFC a backup plan with regard to himself by saying if that fight doesn't happen, I won on UFC 226 International Fight Week. He's been telling us that previously. I think he told us that right. in midweek. He told me that a couple of weeks ago. But clearly, that, that's his placeholder idea. That's his, that's his backup plan. If he can get main event against Darren Till, because Darren Till is a guy who sprung on the scene and has leapfrogged him, mm -hmm. basically on the back of one result, right. beating uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Meanwhile, Leon Edwards is very quietly and very steadily and effectively racked up a series of victories in the octagon and isn't getting the shine. Uh, Leon knows he has to speak up. He spoke up this week when we, when, when we spoke to him. We thought this is good. And he said he was going to call, call his shot in the octagon. He got the win. He called his shot. You can't really ask for much more. And he's just over there. Yeah, he handled himself right. Yeah, I, I don't know if he'll get that till matchup, but as you said, I don't think a lot of people are just running to get it either. So to, to say that, hey, I'm willing to do that, if nothing else, it's like, hey, you know, regardless of what happens in that fight, you're like, hey, I, I was willing to step in. Sorry that this chump got himself handled. I was going to take it, you know. So he did the right thing. Charles Bird wrapped up the uh, prelims by picking up a first-round submission win over John Phillips. Uh, I know the crowd didn't love this one. Charles Bird, uh, you know, ducked in and took the fight to the ground right away, but – I mean, mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts, right, dude? I mean, I'm not just pulling because it's you know it's a Dallas guy and Charles Bird, you know, by my hometown. But I mean, if you know that a guy is the White Mike Tyson, he's now the Welsh recognition. Yeah, oh, oh, he's changed. Hell with that. He's the White Mike Tyson. <laughs> uh, yeah, why, why would you want to stand toe to toe with a knockout artist like that? I, I couldn't. I can't fault Charles Bird in the least. I know the crowd didn't like it. It wasn't the type of fight they wanted to see. Um, but but I, you know what a great story from Charles Bird, who had to go through Dana White's Contender Series twice. And then got into the UFC, made his debut, and picked up a win. Uh, overall, uh, not a lot to say here. Pretty dominating result, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a smart fight. Yeah, unfortunately for John Phillips, it wasn't the fairy tale ending with regards to 
how the last 12 months have gone for him. Right. And getting getting signed by the UFC and then going through what he's gone through, visa issues, injuries, and all that kind of stuff. And to finally, you know, make, make his UFC debut. And he, and he was in good form all week long. You could tell he's been really looking forward to it because he really enjoyed kind of giving every interview he could to all the various media outlets. And uh, it, it wasn't to be his night tonight. But you know what? I think um, John Phillips is someone, uh, again, Careful matchmaking, you know. Bring him, bring him along nicely. You know, he's he's at the SBG camp, and I'm sure the you know John, you know John Kavanagh and the, and the gang there um, will will make all the various tweaks. Um, and I'm sure he'll be, I suppose, um, a reoccurring theme, especially on on the European circuit for the next you know year or two. He's an exciting guy. I think if they match him, match him uh, against a fellow striker, you'll get the best out of him. He's going to go away feeling really disappointed because just pulled up the fight stats. He threw one strike. In fact, he threw two, landed with one, and that was his entire fight. He got taken down very quickly. Charles yeah. Bird did exactly what a mixed martial artist should do when faced with a knockout artist. Take them off their feet. Yeah. Perfect game plan, perfect execution, got his win, and you know, you've got to respect a guy who tried to impress once, got a win, but didn't get the call, came back, Upgraded that win with another one and then got the call up. Um, but John Phillips will be back, he'll fight again. And, uh, you know, there's no reason why, if he goes in there and stands with somebody, there's a fair chance he'll get himself a knockout win in the octagon. Bird now 3 0 under the Zufa banner. I mean, I, I know that, yeah. the, you know, those, those contender series don't count as UFC wins, but. I mean, they matter. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're seen. The, the content is there. It's a, it's a good thing. So, uh, all right. Danny Roberts picked up a brutal knockout win over Oliver Incamp. I actually uh, got a few messages on Twitter that I had an oh shit face reaction because, dude, the way Incamp fell, like his body just folded in half. It was, yeah. it was crazy. That shot was vicious and uh, uh, just, I, you know, I, t I told you guys going in, like I, I like Incamp. You know, I only, you know, I had just seen the one fight. I hadn't watched a lot of him on the regional stage. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of got that karate style. And he's a, uh, a young, creative, uh, fun guy to watch. But Danny Roberts just starched him tonight. Yeah, and we spoke to Danny Roberts in a week. Danny has been uh, involved in barn burners recently. Me and Sandu had a chat the other day we, when we were cage side in Manchester at UFC 204 when uh, he fought against Mike Perry. And that, for me, was one of the most brutal fights I've seen in person I don't think anything's going to beat Robbie Lawler versus uh, Rory McDonald that was, that was up there that was right up there that was absolute slobber knocker of a fight this one he said it was going to he was going to put him away he envisaged uh, a finish and uh, that's the last four fights that Danny Roberts has been involved in have finished in a KO not a TKO a KO so when you watch Danny Roberts fight expect fireworks He's two, two and two when it comes to the, those four fights. <laughs> but he's coming but, in to uh, fight one way or the other. But that shot was perfect. He was, he was sort of range finding. He was, he was looking at Encamp, and he timed him perfectly because Encamp just leant off the center line, and he perfectly placed that. That it was, a, it was a left hand, caught him absolutely perfectly, rotated him 180 <sighs> degrees, and the way he went down. But I'll tell you one thing I did notice: Encamp's a young lad, incredibly fit. He actually recovered remarkably well as the fight has been stopped. I'm not saying the fight should have carried on. Of course. That was a KO, yeah, yeah. right? He was out. But by the time the ref had finished the fight, he was then going after Danny Roberts' leg to try and, try and bring him down. And I thought to myself, if the ref hadn't dived straight in, that fight may have carried on. But absolutely, that it was the right call. I think it was Leon Roberts, the referee, dived in, stopped the fight, 
Um, and a huge, huge win for Danny Roberts. He's a guy that needs to be on a Liverpool card. Uh, I completely echo everything that Simon just said. Uh, just from a personal point of view, I'm just really happy for, for Danny Roberts. He's one of those fighters that uh, I was fortunate enough to cover while he was in Cage Warriors. And, and it's crazy that just out of pure luck, I've actually been at three out of his four last fights. You know, it, it was crazy to see him get brutalized by Mike Perry in Manchester. He bounced back, gets a win against Bobby Nash. And I was actually in Winnipeg uh, for his last fight. And it was funny because uh, on that Fox card, he wasn't really kind of given any shine in terms of right. exposure to the media on the official media day. But we were kind of running into each other, you know, in the bar. And, and you know, he was like, hey, you know what? Respect. You know, we go way back before right. the UFC, right? Yeah. And, and I was like, yep, yeah, look, you know, tip of the hat to you. Good luck to you. It didn't go his way that night. And then tonight you know what it you could just sense how you know happy he was to come off a loss come back home to england get onto a card here inside the o2 arena get out one of the best if not the best uh, finish of his career and what was interesting about speaking to him backstage um, when we were having the media scrum ed swords just came over to gloat by the way <laughs> this guy got the job done he's a happy man <laughs> <laughs> Hard. Yep. Mm -hmm. Class class response there. If you guys couldn't hear, I know he's a little bit off mic, but Ed Soros said it was uh, it was a bittersweet moment for him. Alexander Volkov. I didn't even know Ed Soros does manage Alexander Volkov. Uh, found that out this week actually, uh, and he said, "Listen, I mean, my guy is going to get it done." And, and we we're like, "Yeah, just don't look at our staff picks because uh, <laughs> nobody picked them." Uh, but he got the job done. But Ed said, "Listen, it's kind of bittersweet too because I, I like Fabricio a lot, and it's." Uh, Hard to see a guy that you like that's a friend of yours. Ooh, bottles breaking. That did not sound good. It's getting late here at the Hilton Canary Wharf. Uh, just wanted to finish yep. off what I was saying about Danny Roberts. Um, black athletes around the world over the last few weeks have really embraced the, the Black Panther movie, and they've started to, in a winning situation, do the Wakanda Forever celebration. Uh, and I kind of asked him about that in, in the post-fight media scrum. And, it, and I, I guess it's just amazing to see how uh, a, f a piece of entertainment from Hollywood uh, adapting a comic book story is kind of empowering black athletes. And, and it's just a sense of pride that they can do something like that. And ha now we have Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Buffer with us. Who was wearing that amazing blue suit uh, uh, this is the, the jacket was great. Yeah, throw it on. Jump in there, Bruce. The legend that is Bruce Buffer. Yeah, sit down now. We're throwing you in. You don't just come say hi. But you I got room service showing up in 10 minutes. All so right. I got to be upstairs. No, just give us any thoughts you had on the night, Bruce. I mean, you I were. Hear. Well, it doesn't have feedback, unfortunately. But if you move this, move one here. There you go. Then you can Okay. Hear. Give me thoughts on the night. The energy was, was high in there. It was fun. You know, what's amazing is that in the UK, uh, where let's say even Ireland, Scotland, this whole region up here, there's such fight fans. Right. And you could have, with all respect to all announcers, including myself, you could have a, a gelatinous amoeba in the middle of the thing going like this, <laughs> and they're going to be going nuts. So it's like it's a challenge for me when I come here because i got to take them to another level. Right. And I don't know if I can compare to that gelatinous whatever because their, their enthusiasm is incredible. They love fighting, and they love UFC. You know, it's funny because this was kind of one of those cards that didn't have a ton of energy or, or attention to it going in, a smaller fight pad show, the kind that sometimes you don't make it to. But you came over here, and we thought the fighters delivered. We thought the, the, the atmosphere. This ended up being a hell of a night. We talked about this before, and every time I hear – 
people say, oh, that card sucks, or that card has nobody names, whatever. <laughs> that means that nine times out of ten, what we're going to see is talent coming up, male and female both, that are proving grounds, and the greatest proving ground for fighters known to man the UFC octagon, and they're going to bring it. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes the fight of the night is the first prelim on FS or excuse me on Fight Pass. That's right. And tonight we're all on Fight Pass, yep. wherever else we are in Europe, and it was a treat. Anything stand treat. out to you? I know you're a fight fan at heart. You're not just a, a guy that gets in there and, and, and announces. I mean, you, you love the sport. You love martial arts. Anybody stand out to you tonight? Yeah, but in answer to your question, I get John, you know me better than most people know me. I can't fake it in there. <laughs> My passion rises in there. And tonight uh, lifted me seeing all these great warriors coming in and putting their blood, sweat, and tears on the line. And it lifted my announcing to take it to the next level for the fans and the fighters both. However I do, love me or not, whatever you think. But I did what I could do best. And it was because the energy was so extreme. Yep. And the talent was in there to prove itself. And I love these shows. Mm. And you know the shows I miss are not the shows I want to miss. You'd do them all if they'd let you. Well, if I'm not, I'm somewhere else. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> yep. Hey, you, uh, I'm not going to make you break news, but should we just tease that you've got lots of news coming. You showed yeah, me a couple things tonight that I don't think we could talk about yet, but they're pretty exciting projects. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing, and, and I'll tell you a little tidbit because we broke it out the other week at Hawkinson Nightclub in, in MGM in Las Vegas. But um, the really one of the top DJs in the world is Steve Aoki. Right. And the, the man is famous for throwing the cake in people's faces. But he, he gives amazing DJ performances. And now – as in the last 10 years, give or take, DJs have become superstars. These guys are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a night, as Steve Aoki does. So he'll be on a, his jet, public, private, whatever, probably private, and he'll fly to five events a week from England to China to the United States and then do it again the next week. Nuts. He's insatiable. So we did a couple of appearances together with Celine Dion, and I did a benefit I wanted to get back to the families of the people from the Vegas shooting massacre. Oh. And um, Hakkasan, along with others, put together a great benefit. And Steve Aoki was part of that that night. And we did that with Celine Dion. And we talked. And then I saw him at New Year's Eve where Hakkasan had me back. And we did New Year's Eve together. I did the countdown. And he did his thing. And I said, Steve, you know what? It's time for the It's Time song, isn't it? And I don't know anybody else that let do it. I've been approached by, I won't even name names right now, but you know what? I would love to do that with you. I got a, I got a text the next day. It said, it's happening. I got a great idea. That night I'm playing poker, okay? I'm in a great cash game, action flying. My phone on FaceTime rings, and it's Steve Aoki calling me from his studio. I got the song. Wow. wow. So April 6th, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, is the plan. We're going to be doing a release, and I'll just tell you that possibly I'll be doing a song with Steve Aoki. Very cool. And it's very cool. It's a very cool experience. That's fun stuff. All right, man, why didn't mean to steal your time, but since you're here, we wanted you to. I know I'll you give you another five minutes room, because I I'm really don't want to get up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't get up. We were just getting, we were, we were going to the, uh, where were we at on the car? Really? Oh, Danny Henry with the uh, submission win over Hakeem Duwadu. We were all excited about Hakeem Duwadu, a Canadian that was making his debut, but he goes in there, and Danny Henry rocked him with the right hand and then got a hold of his neck and just would not let go. Nasty. Hakeem was, was, was jumping up and down, twisting. He was trying to counter. He was trying to get his back to the canvas. He was doing the right things, but that choke was just brutal. Well, it was intense, as intense as it was trying to figure out how to say his last name. But, you know, <laughs> it, it all came out okay. But, you know, this is part of the thing about tonight. These are people I have not seen fight. Right. Hakeem was making his UFC debut. How many debuts did I announce tonight? Three, four? Quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. And they came. Right. They did it. And 
the one uh, that you'll get to him, the one they called the white Mike, the white Mike Tyson. We talked, yeah, John Phillips came in and. You know, he got taken down, and we didn't see his talent, and I so much wanted to see what I've been hearing all about. Right. But I'm sure he'll be back. Oh, definitely be back. He had he had a rough night, you know. Well, it's called go home and practice the sprawl. You know, it's it, that's it. Well, yeah. that's what, you know the crowd booed when Charles Bird take him down, and we talked about that. We're kind of going in reverse order on the card, but that's what we thought too. Is that if you're if you're going to fight a guy who's called the White Mike Tyson, take him down. Don't go stand with well, him. Well, that's that's the game plan, right? That's right. Although I hate booing, as you know. How do you how do you make sure that you're getting the pronunciations right? Do you do you, do you talk to the guys ahead of time or no? I don't talk. Do? I mean, if I only actually very rarely have I had to talk to one of the fighters because the UFC is such a well-oiled machine that they have them voice into a uh, voice chip mm -hmm. the way they would announce. Now the problem with that is that the way they pronunciate their names in Brazil does not enunciate it the way I'm supposed to announce to the world at times. So right. we have to let's say John Anik and I are working together or Aunt, you know. Um, Hardy and, and everybody together. We always get together before the show at some point, and if there's any questions, we'll cross back and forth because we have to be in sync with each other. Right. But remember, when I announce, I don't say it like they do. Right. I say it like I do, which yeah. is to whatever level I get to, you know. So it, it's only in respect to the fighter. We have to be in sync. So it's it's all cool. But um, that guy, I want to I see what the, I haven't seen any video of him, and all I hear I was hearing about this for a week. Duato or Phillips? Phillips. Oh yeah, they're. <laughs> Duato's amazing too. This was a guy that's I, I think we'll we'll see back of him. He's a Muay Thai wrecking machine, but he just he, he got he got caught with the right hand. He got choked out. But you know what I liked uh, um, Paul Craig. Oh, so, just to talk about that. What a gutsy performance. Paul Craig versus Magomed Ankalaev. Magomed Ankalaev was let's just say kicking Paul Craig's ass. Man, he was dominating. From start to finish, he, uh, the judges had given him the first two rounds. He was definitely losing the third round as well. That might have even been a 10-8 round. And in the last second of the fight, the last second. In fact, uh, our photographer, uh, Pear, was, was sitting next to the timekeeper. He said it was 459.68. So a third of a second left gets the triangle choke and earns the tap out for Magomed Ankalaev. Paul Craig was on the verge one second of losing his third straight UFC fight, would have been gone from the organization. Instead, he gets the win and a $50,000 bonus. Well, you know, <clears throat> tonight is other nights I've seen him. He has a very low resting heartbeat, shall we say. I think he should change his nickname from Bear Jew to Cool Cat. Paul Cool Cat Craig. I like that. Nice. You know, because some people don't like – Nicknamed Bear Jew, yeah. from, which is from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> right, right. The, you know, the role he played. But Paul, Cool, Cat. I'm putting it out there, Paul, if you're listening. I'm going to say Paul, Cool, Cat, Craig. There's not one fighter I've announced yet, if I'm not mistaken, that has ever called themselves Cool Cat. And it's a name I've used to refer to fighters like George St. Pierre and other great fighters we know that in the midst of the greatest friggin' battle they can possibly be in are just Cool Cats, right? But nobody's ever named themselves Cool Cat. I like that. I've never heard one either. What was that like getting in there? The, the emotion from those those corner, you know, afterwards. Obviously, just the the the, the disappointment well, of Ankle the high of Craig. You got to remember that where I'm sitting, that the, the red corner is right beside me. That's right. So I'm hearing and feeling every emotion going on, and there was some red corner emotion tonight in this night of fights for sure. Right, uh, Manawa. I mean, should I go on? Oh, you know, Paul. You know, all this going on there. It's just. I love my job, John. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so cool to be a fan, to be a fan first and an announcer second and to have the best seat in the house and experience the interaction amongst these. I, I, I love this. 
I what, love this. What's your schedule coming up? We know we're getting here in Brooklyn. Obviously, that's a, a huge pay-per-view, massive card. Uh, but then it gets kind of international and stuff. What, what, what are as you doing? As far as uh, UFC, but I'm always yeah, doing yeah. other stuff. But I mean, are you on a good run of shows? You're, you're, yeah, people yeah. like you. They, you're part of the brand now. You, you, people don't like to show up to the UFC and not get their Bruce Buffer. Thank you for saying that. My mom says that. If you say that, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I really can't comment beyond that. You know, I just go out there, like I said, and do the best job I can. I'm, I'm a kid in a candy store. Right. You know, I mean, let's be real. What's up? Just but on the that trick is to make it look easy. Just on that theme, I do want to follow up, Bruce, because um, obviously with Liverpool being announced, everyone's just referring to Dublin 2014, you know, Conor McGregor, Diego Brandao. And, and that was one card that you didn't get to announce inside the arena. But can you just talk about potentially announcing in a very intimate arena, the Echo Arena in Liverpool on May 27th because everybody here is getting really amped up and excited about that. I'm amped up for two. I even told Darren when I saw him tonight, I mean, just congratulate, you know, this is it. This is the, when I say it's time, the reason I say that is because this is really the moment we have all been waiting for. This is the moment of truth and this will be his moment of truth. And Liverpool has so much history for me being a 60-year-old fart to, you know, watching the Beatles when I was on Ed Sullivan when I was a kid to, you know, going to Liverpool and I'll be a bit of a tourist and I want to see some of that, you know. And I look at this as an historical event in respect to where it's being held. And I look at it as an event that's another great event because every time I get to come to the UK or Ireland or Scotland, you know, it's, you guys love fights. I mean, there's certain fans, every fan has their own flavor, but this this country has a flavor. They love fights. Whether you drink a couple of pints and you throw down or you watch them on TV, you love fights. And I love performing for you fight fans. It's awesome. Liverpool is going to be great. Darren, how big is Darren Till as a welterweight? That dude is Hello. huge. Hello. That dude is massive. Hello. Mr. Wizard. He, he doesn't look like he doesn't. He looks so much bigger. I agree. That I could easily be a middleweight if not a light heavyweight. But he's, he's another guy. Here's what, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this rash of fighters coming along like Darren like uh, one of my favorite fighters who I believe is so bright future is Brian Ortega. Oh. I think as a man, I know him, he's a friend. Uh, I wear his black belt surfing gear because A, I'm proud to say that I'm a black belt more than once over and and I'm a surfer since I was 15, true to the heart. And that brand, I love that brand, but you know what, his passion and his um, theorism behind the brand is what I love. Mm -hmm. And he, he's another cool cat. Yep. He doesn't curse. He doesn't have to curse to make himself known. He's the opposing side of what we're seeing a lot these days that is going to become just as popular, but in more of a status it's going to be because it's proper. Yep. I'm super high on Ortega. Not Maybe just I'm his fighting skills. John. No. Sorry. I, I love it. It's not just his fighting skills. It's his personality, too. And he's skilled. Yep. He's, he's excited. Darren Till, by the way, was getting the star treatment in there. Now, you talk about, you know, the history of Liverpool. He was getting treated like a couple other Liverpool boys, man. People as, were going crazy in there for the well, arena. As he should be. I mean, look at the fine fighters coming out of, like, Ireland. And I mean, there's, there's a rash of it right now. It's kind of like, you know, what we've seen from Brazil, as we're seeing a little bit. You know, the, the country's on a roll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Did you get a chance to see when Michael Bisping made his way to the cage side yeah, as well? Yeah, oh, my gosh, man. Him. That was cool to see the respect. I, I spent the a, a good amount of time with Michael this trip. i got to be honest with you. He's one of the funniest, fun guys to spend time with. He's hilarious. I agree. It's. I know that people hate him. I know that people hate Michael Bisping, but come, that guy. Perception is reality, Mr. Morgan. That's it. He's. he's, he's Some people hate me. Go figure. I don't uh, understand nah, it. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. 
Uh, all right, Cajun Johnson defeated Stevie Ray, split decision. Uh, tough fight. Cajun Johnson was moving around. Uh, a little too much. That's what I thought. A little too much. I thought Stevie no offense. Ray, no offense. Thought Stevie no Ray offense. won the fight. No offense to him, but a little too much. You got to plant and you got to throw. I agree. I mean, I, I appreciate the mobility, and some of it was slick to watch. I mean, there were some moments where he was, you know, the, the footwork was solid. And he was getting himself out of difficult positions, but I never saw him engage as much as I wanted to see him engage. And uh, again, I always hate to use the term robbery. I think it was a close fight, and Stevie Ray maybe could have done a little bit more to win, but I was a little surprised with the decision. Yeah, um, but unlike other nights we've had a fair amount of recently, some of the it was not a bad night for decisions. No, yeah, <laughs> there's been no. some nights recently. I got to be honest. I get those cards, and I'm the first one to see them beside the commission. And I'm like, uh oh, time to put on my poker face, <laughs> big time. Do you do you ever ask him like, are you sure? Are you right? Oh yeah, yeah. I did that in New York during that first show we had in New York when that whole debacle happened. That's but, true. Of course, perception reality. I got a little blamed for, it, but that I'm, I was just doing what I was told. I tried. And I'm not. It's not me. I'm the messenger, John. I'm the messenger. Don't kill the messenger, guys. Everybody out there listening, love me or hate me, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> All right, first fight of the night, Dimitri Sosnowski picked up a submission win over Mark Gaibier. Mark Gaibier was getting a lot of support. from. I came into some song, I guess, that I, was it famous because people were singing it. I, I didn't know it, but Parkland, was that what? Park Life by Blur. Park Life? Oh, I didn't know that song. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty big song. It still is a pretty big song, actually, here in the U.K. People loved it. Didn't go his way. I like Mark Gaibier. We had a great conversation with him earlier in the week. He was uh, – he was looking to turn things around after a run of bad luck, but uh, lost to Dmitry Sosnowski, who's uh, a scary individual. You know what's interesting about this card is uh, Dmitry Sosnowski, uh, who was in the curtain jerker, hails from the USSR. And then you had Alexander Volkov, <laughs> who won the main event, who hails from Russia. Nice link. You know, the, the, uh, their, their way of thinking, what they know, this is a very tough people. Yep. So naturally tough because all they know is, to a degree, fighting. You know, and it's like you can see that the different countries fighters come from, that inbred, I don't tap, break my arm right. mentality, you know, and it's just it's very conducive to these fighters. You know, it's incredible. I remember I had a fighter from Dagestan or Chechnya one time that I asked him if, if he was uh, concerned with the pressure of fighting in a main event. This was years ago. It was a strike force event. And he was like, I grew up getting shot at in, by, by guns and helicopters. He was like, this is not pressure to me. That's all like, they yep. know. Yeah. Well, that's this is a vacation. <laughs> that's a fair point. This is a day at the gym. Well, all right. I, I gotta I gotta go up, guys. Why? Because room service might not I not might not be there. It's supposed to be there in about. <laughs> I gotta get my room service. Are you getting food too? <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! Oh, back at the ranch. Okay. Hello, John Morgan, folks. Uh, Every day he's here performing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate right, you sitting down Take for care. a second, man. It's good. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. Nice one. Here. Thank you. Simon Head, you're a good man giving up the headset to the uh, the legend with Bruce Buffer. When Not often we get the, the step in uh, from Bruce Buffer, the surprise appearance. Listen, when the... There you go. The man just wants a plug. That's all. When oh. the legend Bruce Buffer is it's in the house. It's time podcast. Damn get your right. championship introductions. Call him. He'll record for your birthdays, weddings, bar mitzvah. Podcast. Podcast, whatever you need. <laughs> when you have Bruce Buffer, the legend, available to jump on the headset, you step aside and you roll out the red carpet for royalty. That's good. Uh, guys, uh, you know, we kind of ran through a couple fights because obviously it's not like he can give a whole lot of – as a UFC employee, he doesn't get to break down good and bad and all those things. But give me – yeah, I was going to say, g g give me some thoughts on some of those prelims that we kind of run through and uh, what you thought about it because it, it was a very entertaining start to this card. That, that trio of back-to-back of -back wins for the Brits was was – really the thing that sparked the whole event into life. Paul Craig is a remarkable character. 
Um, it's not always easiest to understand if, oh, you're not no. from, if you're not from the UK. Um, you talked about it on the last podcast, yeah. actually, about trying to get trying to get uh, all of his uh, all of his words appropriately translated into into English that other people can understand. Yep. Um, but he's a funny guy. He's actually a, a part-time teacher, uh, or he's a full-time teacher, but he's gone part-time in order that he can pursue uh, a fighting career. And uh, this was the last fight of his UFC contract. And as you mentioned earlier. This would have been his third straight loss, and he would have been gone, and he knew that. But in a quite remarkable post-fight interview backstage, because I obviously I was case show with you, John, but when we got back, I wrote that interview up, and I couldn't believe what I heard. He was obviously very jovial, very uh, uh, euphoric because he got the win. Um, he was quite quite honest that he was getting his backside handed to him for the entire fight, and then won. But he turned around and said something absolutely remarkable. He said, I don't know if that's good enough to keep my job in the UFC. I don't, if I'm Dana wow. White, he, and he, quote, if Dana White was watching that, if I was Dana White, I'd say, nah, you go fight for someone else. Wow. That is incredible honesty. Um, I hope he gets another shot. He says he'd like to fight in Liverpool. He didn't get, he said he didn't get hurt. He could turn around quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, he's available if they need him. He's an interesting character. He's someone that you can tell interesting stories with. He's game for a laugh. He'll do whatever media you want to do. Um, but, yeah, that was tough. That was tough. But that's he, crazy. That'd he, be a damn shame. I mean, I guess you get a $50,000 uh, parting prize, so that's a, that's a good thing. But that'd be a damn shame to – I mean, he was losing the fight, but – you can't just, you know, let a guy go on a win like that. Was that was Ankalaev's first professional loss. He was 9-0 coming into this. I mean, maybe, I mean, I probably wouldn't go back to Scotland this year, right? But No. I wouldn't have thought so, but if that Dublin card happens, yeah, could potentially go there. Or any other European cards. Obviously, there are other European shows. Um, they're going to need people. Light heavyweight is not the deepest division in the world. True. Um, and he's, he's, he's down to fight anybody. Sandu, how about you? We kind of burned through a couple fights there as we were sitting in with, yeah. uh, with, with the legend Bruce Buffer, but uh, anyone that stood out to you? Um, Danny Henry. Uh, it's kind of weird because coming into this card, I kept just thinking about how much Danny Austin, our good friend <laughs> of the podcast, was putting over Hakeem Duwadi. Did anybody check on Danny after that? Is he okay? <laughs> I haven't seen many tweets. Me and uh, Jim Edwards did send him a few uh, selfies uh, in, a, in a private group message uh, just to see how things are going. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, to be bummed. Expressed the shock on our, on our faces. A fellow Calgary resident, uh, he was, he was, he's been high on Duarte for a long time. He has, and, and, and he told us about him a few months ago. And, you know, it's coming into fight week. Um, he is an absolute physical specimen of an athlete. Honestly, he is just unbelievably built his genetics are unreal and you look at his record his resume just like knockout after knockout after knockout after knockout and outside of Paul Craig doing the unthinkable against Ankalev that for me in a weird way even though Hakeem was making his UFC debut was kind of like the the, the upset of the night for me right like he was one of the fights uh, well, he was one of the fighters that I was almost was locked in. Okay. Right. Hakeem, he's like, you know, this trend of 
new fighters in the UFC making a stamp, making an impression on their debut or their second fight. I thought Hakeem was going to be that guy for this card to continue that run of young fighters making a, an explosive you know, debut in the, in the UFC. But it wasn't to be. And, you know, all credit to Danny Henry, I have to say, like, we spoke to him about... It's funny, Danny Henry's post-fight media scrum was the shortest. It was like 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Um, but he was really kind of like just putting aside the fact that for him, the story of his career is everyone keeps writing him off. He thought no one was giving me a chance. You know, Hakeem was coming in with all this hype and all this build-up and no one was really thinking about me. And once again, I proved all the doubters wrong. So, you know, good for him. Let me ask you guys, uh, I'll ask you specifically, Sandu, about Cajun Johnson. Uh, because I haven't seen the post-fight scrum yet. Obviously, I had an extended conversation with him this week. He's been outspoken in, uh, you know, his desire to, to be a part of uh, this, you know, sweeping change and organization of fighters. Um, but my understanding is, is uh, you know, he got back there and kind of, I don't want to say slammed Dana White, but definitely you know, had something to say and, and uh, I guess kind of credited Dana's behavior for the, for the reason that, that fans are disrespectful sometimes. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Cajun Johnson is someone that's uh, very articulate. Mm -hmm. He speaks his mind. He has strong opinions and it's, it's always kind of funny when you have someone that's um, ballsy enough in this setup and in this scenario um, when you've got you know 10 or 15 cameras from various media outlets all over the world pointed at you to be as outspoken as he is when you've got a member of the UFC PR team just standing a few meters away just kind of like putting their you know <laughs> oh my God. hands over their eyes thinking oh god what you know what's going on here um, you know, look, everyone should go and check it out because I think it's it's refreshing um, that someone would be as outspoken as he is. Uh, I'm not saying that everything that he believes and everything that he says is 100% right and 100% accurate. At the same time, um, I do agree with him on, on a few things. And it's great to see him and Leslie Smith and others, you know, try their best with you know, Project Spearhead to try and kind of galvanize the UFC fighters um, and, and kind of bring them together under kind of one voice, so to speak. Um, that's going to be a, 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 a mountainous task, yep. no doubt about it. Um, but hey, listen, he won. Uh, he's got the ability to kind of, you know, a, a forum to speak and get his message across and message heard. Right. Um, but at the same time, he's now said that he wants to take about six months off. Um, so that kind of kills a bit of momentum <laughs> when you're trying to build a, a, you know, a career and a streak in the UFC. Yeah. Well, you know, we mentioned, uh, last thing I mentioned, uh, the Liverpool card. We, uh, we kind of said that, hey, we, we thought this was going to happen. It was formally announced. It's interesting, right? Uh, now you've got Bellator 200 and this UFC Fight Night card two days apart. Intriguing in some ways because uh, it actually might be better in some ways for UK media because I think before you basically kind of had to choose if you wanted to cover one or the other, right? Unless you wanted to fly to Dublin and, and do some of the week. Now, I mean, it's, it's closer, right? To, to, I mean, is it, is it a good thing? Is it easier? Is it a bad thing? It's Here's, here's the dilemma uh, that everyone is uh, facing, and, and I, I was speaking to everybody in the media room to kind of game plan because – People need to understand, number one, that it's going to be a massive week for MMA in England. Right. The, 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 the eyes of the MMA world will be completely focused uh, on England that particular week. Uh, for the likes of folks that want to watch Bellator, they'll be having their eyes on time of tape delay uh, in, <laughs> in some territories around the world. Uh, but that's not Bellator's fault. That's the network. That's Paramount. That's Viacom that need to sort that kind of situation out. Fair. But here's, here's the, the, the situation that the members of the media are facing that particular week. 
Bellator 200 takes place on Friday the 25th of May. That day is exactly two days before Sunday the 27th of right. May, the night of UFC Liverpool. That's typically the day that the UFC would run their media event, right. the ultimate media right. day, when the, the main card fighters, the headliners, the special guests are, are all going to be available for interviews. That's where you get your pre-fight content, right? right? But that's the same day as fight night right. for Bellator. And, and it's kind of weird. Do you perhaps cover the Bellator event up until the weigh-in day? and then travel to Liverpool and essentially have a bit of a Groundhog Day experience and start from media day again and, and go up until... And not actually wa watch the Bellator fights live. And not live. actually, A, watch the, the fights live inside get the, the SSC arena, get the post-fight content, the post-fight interviews, um, and then go to Liverpool. Now, a few outlets are fortunate enough to be able to have a, a big enough crew or a big enough team split up. to split up and cover, and cover both events. Uh, at the same time, there's now going to be, I believe, maybe four, five, six, maybe even seven or eight of us who are, are essentially going to cover Bellator. At least that's what the plan is right now. Cover Bellator all the way through. Because I think that's a sign of respect. You know, if, if you know, you, you're covering the media day, you're covering the weigh-ins. And to be honest with you, I want to. I think that Bellator card for, for, for London is fantastic. Right. Some marquee names, some legends of the sport. You've got the, the unique factor of an Aaron Chalmers, who's a big star here for this local market. I'm super excited to see the return of Michael Venom Page. Um, and uh, honestly, I actually have a good time covering Bellator events. Right. I always have, right? Um, it's a different feel entirely. It is a different feel. And listen, Okay, fine, fair enough. We perhaps, you know, you know, some of us may miss out on the opportunity uh, on the UFC Liverpool media day. Right. But hey, we'll still get there in time for the early morning weigh-ins. And, and what we're, we're thinking about doing is the minute Bellator 200 finishes, a group of us are thinking about ta getting a taxi or chartering um, uh, a van or some, some sort of, uh, you know, a vehicle that will get us to Liverpool overnight, right? Over a four or five hour drive, road trip, a road trip, so to speak, and uh, and get there for like. for the official weigh-ins for Liverpool. Uh, but it's going to be an amazing week, and uh, I'm looking forward to both. And I honestly, I, I'm so looking forward to Liverpool. And, and I have to say this: if anyone is listening to this podcast right now, hear my voice, please. If you can afford it, if you have the means to do so. If there was ever one event, one show, I implore you to pull the trigger on. Do whatever it takes and get to this Liverpool event. Beg, borrow, steal. Do what you have to do, <laughs> right? Because, John, you were there in Dublin. That was amazing. In, in 2014. There is something about the UFC going to either a new market or a new city at the same time where a local hero is Know, going to be headlining the card and it's going to all the stars are aligning at the moment for this Liverpool event nothing can beat an amazing electric atmosphere of the crowd throughout the entire night where you see a crescendo building up until the main event that's exactly what we saw in Dublin and you ask many media members who were there in Dublin for the Conor McGregor versus Diego Brandao and they will still say in terms of experience atmosphere that is the best night they've ever experienced covering this sport special. in their entire life it was very special and I think this has the, all the makings to be very close to replicating that, if not perhaps even topping it. Who knows? Very cool. Simon Head, you've been a big part of our coverage this week. I really appreciate everything you did. Any parting thoughts after uh, we, we, as we put the bow on USC Fight Night 127? First off, it's been great to be a part of it. It's been, uh, it's been a while since I've been on the road. Yeah. 
and uh, it has been good to get the band back together again. It's uh, It's been good fun. But, I mean, I think the abiding lesson from this, anything we can take from this is, okay, we didn't have the A-listers. We didn't get the A-listers. We don't always get the A-listers on this side of the pond. But what we did get were good fights. And what we have shown is that UK MMA is in rude good health. We have got people coming through. We have exciting fighters that the fans in this country really do or really should back because these are talented guys mm. who have come through the domestic system we spoke about it on the last show former cage warriors champions former bama champions in the shape of danny henry a former efc champion these guys have done the hard yards on the on the local circuit or overseas they're in the big show they deserve the fans support they got the platform today and uh, they delivered an exciting night of fights. Some won, some lost, but that's the fight game. But what it's all about is get behind the people who come from where you come from. We spoke about it. American athletes sometimes sort of bemoan that they don't always get that support. Right. In this part of the world, we get behind our own. And I thought the crowd did that today. And when you get to Liverpool, hold on to your hats because it's going to be insane. That is awesome. I hope I uh, get the good fortune of making to that card. I don't know exactly what our plans are going to be yet, but... You guys have got me stoked for Liverpool now, and hopefully we get a good matchup with uh, with Darren Till because he's certainly on, on a little roll right now, and, and I'm anxious to see what he gets. Dave Shaw at the uh, post-fight press conference did say that they'd be announcing Till's opponent at some point in the next week. So whether they've already kind of got uh, a fight assigned on a contract, who knows, we'll see. But that news should be coming very, very imminently. And, of course, all signs point to that being Michael Bisping's retirement fight as well. If that happens to be the co-main, I mean, what a what a fantastic evening that would be. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that happens. I think that's the perfect spot for it, right down the road from Manchester, right? I mean, in fact, I was looking at, in case I do go, um, it looked like it might be easier for me to fly into Manchester and then go over to Liverpool based yep. on, on the way the options work. So uh, we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, it's a little after 3 a.m. here. I've got to go pack a bag and, and fly home. And more importantly, it looks like the bar may still be open for a little bit. So I think it's time to grab a frosty beverage or two and call it a week. So uh, let's go do that. And to everybody else, thanks for listening.